0: Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Be a Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. On today's
1: episode, we talked to our really good friend, Dr. Afruz Demiri, about a topic that's really important to both Yasmin and I, which is the connection between the mind and the body, or more so how our mind can stop us from healing and how powerful the mind is. And Dr. Afruz opens up about her own experiences with therapy, with EMDR, which is becoming really popular, and how some of these therapies can become really useful when we are trying to heal. And the other day, Yasmin, I heard this really cool thing on TikTok. This woman was describing a situation in which her therapist told her, was encouraging her to take care of herself. And she said, think of someone that you love so much, whether it be your mother, your father, your child, your sibling, your aunt, your uncle, your best friend, whoever it is, or someone you admire, think of that person and imagine that you swapped bodies with them. So you were inside of their body all of a sudden, like a freaky Friday moment, she described it as and she was like, think about how much you love that person and think about how you would take care of them. What would you do differently than what they do now? So for example, if it was your mother, how would you prioritize her sleep? How would you prioritize her nutrition? How would you prioritize her exercise? And then that was more so a motivation to say, like, think of that person that you love so much and how much you would take care of them. And that's essentially what we should be doing to ourselves. Like, how would you be taking care of yourself if you were that person that you love the most in the world? And I'm probably not explaining it as well as she did. But it reminded me of that other quote, which is the opposite. Which is, if you talk to your best friend or your friends the way that you talk to yourself, you wouldn't have any friends,
0: right? Like, <laughs> it's true. Oh my gosh, I would have zero friends,
1: <laughs> right? Right. And it's like sometimes we can be our worst critic. We can beat ourselves up. We cannot prioritize taking care of ourselves. But when you think about, well, would you talk to a friend that way? Would you take care of your friend that way? How would you treat that person that you love so much? Oh my gosh, we would worship them. We would do everything for that person to keep them healthy? Why aren't we doing those same things for ourselves?
0: Gosh, it's so true, Kaya. And that's like so beautiful. I get so emotional, even you sharing that example. And it just reminded me, actually, I can't remember who mentioned this. Maybe it was a coach I was working with, but she said, you know, going back to what we're talking about, having compassion for ourselves and being kind to ourselves. She said, I would recommend you putting a photo of yourself as a kid on your desk. So anytime you're like mean to yourself or you're saying certain things, it's like, would you say that to your younger self? And having that photo right there in front of you, I think is so powerful. And I actually, it's so crazy that we're talking about this two nights ago, I had a dream. It sounds so wild, but I had a dream that I was with my family and I was holding a baby and that baby was like my six month old self. It was like the weirdest and most calming feeling. And it just kind of goes back to what we're talking about. Like I was so loving to myself. I was so much of a caretaker and it's like, it just made me think about how I can even be kinder to myself because we wouldn't be mean to our younger self or us as a kid, let alone, like you were saying, putting yourself in a different position, whether it's your mom or friend. So I think these are all really powerful. And and what gets me excited is that we talk all about this today with our guest and dear friend, Dr. Fruz Demiri, who is a licensed board certified naturopathic medical doctor who specializes in integrative and functional medicine for women. Dr. Fruz finds a root cause for hormonal imbalances, thyroid disorders, stress, weight or digestive issues, fatigue, depression, and anxiety. She's been featured in publications such as Women's Health Now Magazine, WeightWise Expo and Vitality. When she's not helping patients find their own lifelong wellness, you can find her studying yoga, cooking for her family of four, or teaching and dancing at the local Zumba studio. We loved this one. We felt so inspired and energized after the interview with Afruz. So we're excited for you to listen in. So let's get into it. So, Dr. Afruz Demiri, my question is How do our minds
1: stop us from getting healthy? It's a really good question.
2: I'll back up and say that most of medicine has been so obsessed with molecules and cells. And even in school, we learn science, we learn biology, we, we go all the way to the atoms and the protons. And we don't really even realize that. It's 50-50. Or I would say with the study of psychoneuroendocrinology or psychoneuroimmunology, which is what I studied in my undergrad five years, was all in understanding the biology of our thoughts and our beliefs. And I studied the brain for five years. So I'm gonna use the word mind and brain interchangeably because we don't realize that this is the most powerful organ we have. It starts developing six weeks old in the womb and it's the first organ that develops and it holds on to every single thing that happens to us from the womb all the way to now so when you ask how is the mind related to your health i would say it's even more than 50 percent of the physiology because our thoughts and our our mind is what dictates the neurochemicals to be released the hormones to be released those are all just messengers those are all just saying, hey, we're in a good mood today, you know, let's let's do this. Or, oh gosh, we're afraid. Let's make her afraid. Let's make her heart rate go up. Uh, we're tired. Let's make her sleepy. Uh, let's make her feel a bit moody today or sad. So those are all messengers, and we think that's how it starts. But really, it's the other way around. It's a little, we have it backwards in medicine. We're so not still up to date with research because we have been focused on the body too much in my opinion. And I love that I studied medicine, but because of my background in biopsychology, I I know the importance of the mind. The mind is everything because the brain holds on to every single emotion we have, positive and negative, but we tend to remember more of the negative ones and they add up, they have a cumulative effect. And then we start to see the symptoms show up And I often say, if you haven't had an accident, if there wasn't trauma, let's say to your neck, or you weren't in a car accident, which caused the back to go off and then the pain started, every single symptom that you have has an emotional component because you're one person and the mind and the body are connected. We know that. When I was in school, there was still some debate of, you know, they would teach us back in the days when we also used to think that the earth wasn't round, that the mind was separate from the body, right? And it was this entity outside of you and that the brain was just physical and the mind was sort of, we didn't know where these thoughts came from. Now we know that they're, they're connected. And I think we need to focus more on our emotions and our our past, and what things we are still holding on to that is subconscious. And I just wanna remind everyone that your brain on a day-to-day operates at a 95% subconscious level. It's 5% conscious, so when you get up and you go brush your teeth, you make your coffee, you are not consciously thinking about those things. You've programmed things, but the scary part is the emotions are also programmed. So whatever has happened and occurred that you haven't healed, you're holding on to that and you're operating with that program now today, which could have happened when you were six, when you know your, your sibling was born you're, you know, and you were no longer a second, uh, the only person in the family. That could be emotionally traumatic for a child. I grew up in the war, you know, so that, that had a huge emotional component around fear and losing someone you love. Um, I had my first heartbreak when I was 12 in Australia and I asked a guy out and I felt rejected and humiliated. That has, my brain holds on to those things. But of course we put it away and we live and we live and then we go to the doctor and we're focused on what do I have and how do I fix it? You know, the Western world is so pill-oriented that we want to fix it with a pill and we want to do it now, we want to do it quickly. But a lot of this is emotional. It's emotional things from our past that our brain is holding on to, which is causing the imbalances that you see today.
1: So how do we deprogram? I know that's a big question, but you're saying all of this is programming. So how do we deprogram and then reprogram?
2: that's a great question i wish i knew how to do it myself personally but i'm learning it because i got to experience this through first figuring out what doesn't work and what didn't work for me was talk therapy so i did 10 years of just regular talking to a therapist which was really important in first expressing yourself but because you're conscious when you're talking and you're telling your story and the therapist is also conscious it didn't really reprogram i felt great and then i would go back and then something would trigger me and then i'd be like right back into that same pattern right and i thought wait this doesn't really cure it, it didn't really help solve it. It helped me in the moment express myself and be heard and be seen, which is really important. But then I did cognitive behavioral therapy. I thought, okay, I tried every single style that there was mainly because I was in this field and I was curious to see, okay, all these things I'm studying, there's good research behind it, what's gonna help me? Until I stumbled upon EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And I'd never heard of this and I thought, you know, why haven't I heard of this? I had heard of it only for vets that come back from the war and they have major PTSD and they use this, you know, with them with great success. So I'd seen the research on it, but I didn't know any friend of mine that went to an EMDR therapist to get reprogramming done. And I met this woman called Dr. Sarah. She has a PhD in EMDR therapy and she developed her own technique where she is connecting the left and the right side of the brain, basically going deep into the limbic system where a lot of the stuff is stored. And it's like, how do you access that? And I don't want to go back. I don't want to relive the past traumas and talk about it, which I already did. And it wasn't fun. It's hard work. No wonder, most people, you know, don't really enjoy this process. It's not fun. And it was hard because you're crying, you're living it. And sometimes it's not enough. The one hour you leave and life happens, especially if you have kids, And it's like, what do I do with this information? But what she does and what EMDR therapy is doing is is reprogramming and it is profound. I mean, I can't tell you how quickly it worked, but the way it works is you revisit the emotion. You go back to that trauma in a way, but you don't have to relive it. She doesn't care to hear the story. She doesn't need to hear what happened. You feel it in your body. Often she would have me, let's say, someone goes in and they have a headache or they have some neck tension or they have some back pain or they hold a lot of tension in their jaw right they have tmj or they feel nervous in their belly you close your eyes and you just quickly can feel what does it feel like and you can see people will say i feel tightness here. Okay, what does that feel like? Uh, I feel scared. I feel fear. I feel anger. They'll feel an emotion and then she gets you to go back to the last time you felt that and you keep going back and back and back and you'll be amazed when your eyes are closed and you're on the subconscious which is kind of like what people know as hypnosis but this is not hypnosis at all. You're listening to certain sounds in your ear and things are vibrating in your hand and so it's taking you back without you being consciously talking about it and they just kept coming I had no idea that subconsciously I was holding on to like this guy at 12 you know that I had felt humiliated and that was sort of the beginning of me not feeling good enough me me feeling like I'm not pretty enough I'm not like everyone else I'm the outsider being the only girl with brown hair in in an Australian school and so I had no idea why I was in relationship after relationship with men and feeling the same feelings of rejection every time they would leave. And then I'd blame the guys and think, why do I always attract these men? What's going on? Why do I always wanna fix this? And I had no idea. So this is the the one therapy that broke that cycle because I got to see that I had identified with that emotion And I almost had to prove to myself who I was because that's who I believed I was. I wasn't good enough. And i was the outsider but i never knew how to erase that thought because many of us have these beliefs but we don't know what to do about it and it's not enough just to say an affirmation of i'm i'm good enough i'm pretty enough i'm this that didn't work for me it wasn't enough it's a great starting point but with sarah's help and emdr therapy i i can't tell you how powerful it was for me to understand how many of my physical symptoms were emotional and that they just naturally went away I used to have a lot of shoulder and neck issues here on the right side, and I could tell it was stress-related, but I never knew, like, why am I stressed? I feel great. Life's good. My job is good. My kids are great. My family life is great. There must be something deeper, but I couldn't tap into it myself, and so she was able to help me understand that things that happened in the womb, you know, I remembered things that I never remembered consciously, but I felt my mother's sadness, and I felt I- feel it and I was like what is this you know so the good thing is because you're not so conscious you don't keep doubting yourself but when I did kind of come out of it I was like very skeptical like I don't know if that was real I don't know if that you know and so the skepticism of the scientists in my head would kick in and I realized I do that a lot in life I overthink things I overanalyze things I analyze everything to death until there's like no intuition left. And I don't trust, I don't trust what I feel. What I feel, the the left brain will come and say, no, that can't be right, that can't be proven. But it allowed me to kind of let go of that. And there was a lot of sadness. There was a lot of tears. I remember walking out of her office once, drenched. my My sweater was so wet. <laughs> from tears and I I let go of a lot and I would say that is the powerfulness in reprogramming is erasing deleting and letting go so that you can be present so that when you do close your eyes and you meditate you are fully here there's nothing from the past that is still inside you controlling your thoughts and so I hope that makes sense. Uh, I know for someone who's never tried it, it's it's a little like, what? What happens? How does it work? There is a lot of research on EMDR therapy. So that's the only thing I know that works as fast as it does. In one session, it felt like 10 years of therapy for me. It was because we went to every event and the biggest one was losing my dad tragically in, in an accident, which I had been holding on to. I just, that one would trigger me right away. It would just be sobbing. And that one, I realized I didn't want to let go of that pain. I couldn't let it go. She gets you to put the emotion in a balloon when you're feeling it, when you're crying it, give the color of the balloon. And I said, purple. And she said, okay, now see the balloon in front of you, go in front of it. And the sounds get louder and the vibration gets louder. And you can tell something is happening in the brain. It literally feels like a reprogramming. And she'd say, pop the balloon. And the balloon kept moving. It was getting out of hand. I couldn't pop it. I couldn't let it go. And she's like, did you do it? And I'd say, I can't. The balloon keeps moving. And she's like, grab the balloon, tie it to a chair, go in front of it, pop it. I couldn't pop it. I didn't want to let my dad go or the pain of it go because I had started identifying with that grief, with that loss. And I realized, wow, many of the things I couldn't pop, I was addicted to the pain. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to believe that. But I, I realized in that moment when I was so raw with myself, I was the reason I wasn't being as healthy and as happy. It was me. No one was forcing me to hold on to this stuff. I was holding on to them. And so it's not a self-blame at all, which I hear a lot of doctors, you know, are very much against sort of the mind being that fault because they don't want their patients to blame themselves. And it's not blaming. It's just being honest with yourself. It's just being real that... I'm afraid to let this go because I don't know who I'll be without this story, without this pain, without I'm afraid if I let my pain of my dad go, then it means I'm letting him go and the memories go. So when I finally did pop it with her, I had to do three different things to be able to. I realized that day when I went home, I felt so raw. I felt like a little baby that was just fully exposed and I didn't know who I was. I felt like I was starting all over again and now I get to like rewrite who do i want to be and how happy do i want to be and i'm the one that's in charge of that happiness and i f- finally felt like i I, had, I got what everyone said in the books i understood what it felt like to just be present because i'd been trying and i'd sit and meditate and i couldn't it's like the, the thoughts would come in and i was like i'd rather be busy because it's easier because when I'm busy or dancing or working out at the gym, I'm not thinking, I'm fully present. But it was nice to finally be able to sit and just be and not have to focus on my breath, not have to focus on not thinking, not have to focus on anything, but just realize this is me, this is who I am. And without those past negative
0: emotions, so much, so much
2: easier to be happy.
0: Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking seed cycling. What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it list for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. I'm so inspired by you, Afroos, because there's a few points that really resonate with me. You know, sometimes we think mentally we're fine, right? Or if someone's going through a health issue, they're like, I'm doing all the right stuff. What's wrong with me? Or for me personally, it's like you said, I have a great life. I'm so passionate about my business. I have amazing friends and family, a wonderful husband. And even like going back to this weekend, I was kind of working a little bit. My mind was clear, but I felt the emotion in my chest. And I was like, where is this coming from? Is Why do I have a feeling of like overwhelmed sadness. I haven't done therapy properly, but I've talked to different belief coaches and they've always asked me, what, what are you feeling? Or they try to go down in my childhood and maybe my mind is too logical. I haven't spent enough time there, but I've never been able to get to the root cause of it. So just hearing your experience with EMDR, right? That was the, the right word and really channeling into the emotions. Cause sometimes we're not aware. I feel like that's so powerful. So that's, that's really amazing. Wow.
2: Yeah. You bring up also a really 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 good point that I often tell my patients, you could have the perfect life in terms of the best children, the best husband, a great successful career, everything, everything outside, right? And you're still allowed to feel sad and you're still allowed to feel tightness in your chest. You have to give yourself permission and allow yourself that grace to feel whatever it is that you feel. But in this society, we don't give people permission. We we ask, "Why are you sad?" You know, like Michael Phelps, like, "How could he be stressed and how could he be sad and depressed and suicidal like he has it all?" Or, you know, all these stars, like we don't we don't allow them to just be human. And being human means you don't have to know. And that's the beauty of having kids because it's such a reminder that half the time the kid doesn't know why they're crying they don't they if you ask them why they're like "Ah," you know they just feel it and it's so beautiful to just feel and not have to answer a why question you know I woke up the other day and I was really happy and it was a Monday and my friend texted me how's it going and I was like I feel amazing I'm so happy and she's like why what's happened and I was like nothing. It's just a Monday morning and I'm just really happy. And it just made me realize like we have to have a reason to feel what we feel. And that is sort of what's gotten us into trouble. We don't allow ourselves to just feel, you know, and I think we don't, we don't, we don't until the body's like, okay, she's not listening to me. Let me put a tumor here, or let me make this muscle really tense and pull on the vertebra and make her have pain. And then she will pay attention because she's forced to, to feel what I feel. And often in those moments when there's severe pain, my patients, I'll ask them, how do you feel? And they're like, I feel angry. I feel so frustrated with this pain, right? Or I just want to cry is another common one. It just is making me want to cry because they're in a lot of pain. They don't realize that those are emotions that are stored in that body part. And so tightness is often, we, we, we have a better way of saying it, which is a prettier way, which is anxiety or, you know, tightness, instead of maybe I just feel a little uneasy. Maybe I feel worried. Maybe I'm, you know, feeling a little scared. But we, my patients are like, no, no, I'm not afraid. I, I don't have any fears, you know, or I don't feel uneasy. I don't feel overwhelmed. No, no, life is good. Because they, they judge that to be bad, right? But if I say, well, you you know, according to this, you have an anxiety disorder, they're like, oh, okay, that's, I thought so, you know, <laughs> they're, they're almost relieved to get that label because there's pills for it. There's ways to fix it. But if you believe you have fear, that is overwhelming. And it's like, you can't go telling people, I'm afraid, that's weak, You know, imagine a man coming and saying they are sad. They feel really sad inside. We No, we tell boys, you don't cry. You toughen up, you push through, you suck it up. You know, my son fell the other day from the tree and I could tell he wanted to cry. Right, My daughter cries, no problem. We're just like, ah, she's okay, you know. But I know he doesn't watch many men cry. And I know people have told him, from their transgenerational you know, beliefs from their dads and their dads that men don't cry. Come on, get up. You, you're tougher than that. You got this. So we've been taught at a very early age to not feel and that what we feel, we should have a reason for it. So I also encourage you, good for you for owning that and just be like, I feel this. Good, feel it. Write about it. Sit with it. Cry it out if it feels like, it needs to release. Often it's it's your intelligent body telling you, pay attention to me. That's it, it's for you and yourself. And so it's nice to kind of sometimes go in a bubble and just go into a, a room by yourself and journal or touch it. And often for me, it's amazing how I'll sometimes just start tearing. And I'm like, wow, where's, you know, and then as soon as my mind goes, where's that coming from? I go, shh, because, The why questions are never good questions. Ask, how does it feel? Ask, what does it feel? Don't ask, why is it there? Because your left brain will come up with an amazing story and we don't want more stories. We've created enough stories that most of them are not true and they're exaggerated. But ask, how does this feel? I asked my daughter when she had issues sleeping. She was around six or seven. We moved schools. We moved her dad and I had gone through a divorce. She was going through a hard time, but I didn't know because she's she's a pleaser and she just goes with the flow and is the first child, which is usually the very responsible child, doesn't want to be a burden to the family. And she wasn't sleeping. And one night she came out of her room and she said, Mommy, I can't, I can't fall asleep. I don't feel good. And, you know, six and seven year olds don't really know how to describe things, you know. And I said, what does it feel like? I don't know. I don't know. And I said, Okay, just put your hand on your chest. What does it feel like inside? Imagine I'm in your body? What would it feel like? She closed her eyes. And she said, It feels like everything is moving really fast inside. I mean, as an adult, we would say that's anxiety. But that's not what it is. It's a sensation that she feels restless inside. She maybe it's from worry, maybe it's from whatever. But those are all assumptions. It's really important to Get in so in touch with yourself that you can just feel the sensation of what it feels like and not label yourself with something because labeling leads to identifying. We tell a kid, you're so funny. What happens? They start being more carefree. We tell someone, oh, you're so angry. You're just like your dad. You know, you have your dad's temper. What happens? This was me. This is what people would tell me. The few times I would explode oh, you're just like your dad. You have the angry trait. You're angry. And so what would happen? I had a very negative relationship with anger and I hated when I would get angry instead of learning about my anger and what it was trying to tell me. And same, if you tell someone, oh, you're just sad, you know, depression runs in your family. Addiction runs in your family. They start identifying with it just as they do when we tell these to kids. So it's so important to be capable careful with what words you think you have i always say no one has anything no one has cancer no one has anxiety you may be in a state and those states change just like if you don't do anything about your cancer in stage one you will go to stage four most likely so things change just like if you feel anxious now or you feel worried it doesn't mean it's permanent for life I think that's what people are worried about is that it's gonna be forever and they have no control over it, right?
1: There's so much there that you said that I resonate with. First, thinking about the labels that we give children and something that I'm being super mindful of because I was labeled shy as a kid. And I took that on for years, probably until maybe my 30s labeling myself, I'm just shy. I'm just shy around people, I'm shy. And I was like, what does that even mean? And maybe, was I just somebody who needed to take things in more? Maybe needed to sit with what was happening. Maybe I wasn't shy. Maybe I felt more extroverted around certain people and more introverted around other people. So that resonates with me a lot or being labeled sensitive or whatever it is. Another thing that you said, this idea of, and I forget who said it, it's who are we without our stories? So asking that question, like, who am I without this story? And we all have our friend and we've all maybe even been there, that it feels like something keeps happening to them. They feel like life keeps happening to them. One day they're, something's going on with their neighbor, then their dog, then they're this, then they're that. And it's like, gosh, this person cannot catch a break. But this idea that are we subconsciously addicted to drama, addicted to pain, addicted to suffering, because we feel like without all of that stuff, like we don't even know who we are. It's something I've been trying to unpack a lot lately for myself. Who am I without this story that I'm busy? My story is like, I'm a busy person. I'm just busy all the time. And it's like, what does that mean? Why do I need to hold on to that? And it's so powerful when we even ask ourselves, well, who am I without that label? So there's so much to say there, but I'm, I'm very fascinated. And I also just want to give you some acknowledgement for a second. How beautiful must it be for your patients to sit with you and hear from you? Hear those really beautiful words come out of your mouth and just have the opportunity for someone to even say like, how does it feel inside and walk them through this because people don't ever really get that. So I just want to give you some acknowledgement because I'm sure it's really profound and i'm sure a lot of healing happens in that moment
2: thank you so much for that i think i wish i could have been this kind of doctor when i first graduated when i first graduated i was very very much into you know preparing for my patients what does the science say what should i put them on how do i treat this and you know the beauty of it is life happened to me you know death occurred I had my daughter who had a lot of health conditions. There was another wound there. And so life happens to all of us. And that's why we can only plan so much. But things are going to go downhill. And that resiliency in that moment is so important and the support of your own mind. And I didn't have that at that time. And I'm kind of glad because it felt like I broke, even though I know I didn't. It felt like there was nothing else that could be worse to me. It was losing my dad and then my daughter. You know, anyone who has a kid, when you see them suffer and something's wrong with them, it's like there's nothing else that could be. I was like, God, take it, take it all. Like you this is this is you you messed with the wrong girl. You thought I could handle this. And that's when really the journey began for me to now walk the talk. Oh, you want to tell your patients to sit with their pain and not fight it? Well, let's see if you can do it. Uh, you want to tell your patients that it's okay if they miscarried, they can try again. Now let's see how you do with your first miscarriage. And so I think experience and life, I thank you for the credit, but really I didn't do anything. It's just I'm older <laughs> and, and things happen to me just like all of us. And those are moments where you get to wake up and when, when you're kind of slapped in the face and you're on the floor and you're just like, I can't even get up and I have to surrender because this is too painful. Those were my biggest lessons. And that's where it all came from is really the guy who cheated on me and left me for another woman. It was the, the, the tragic losses, right? Cause if it was, it wasn't big enough, I feel like I wouldn't have changed. I was too smart. I was too in my head yeah. It had to almost crack open my heart for me to like, oh, I can't breathe. I couldn't breathe. Cause I cried so much when I lost my dad that I appreciated breathing for the first time because I thought this is what people go through that have allergies and their sinuses are so congested that they can't breathe. Now I get it. Now I get it. And now I know what they're going through. So life teaches you right? And I hope I don't have to keep learning and growing through pain. I hope I can learn to grow through love and happiness and joy. But if it ends up being the other way at times, I know I can do it. I know how strong I am now. And this is what I tell my women who have so much fear around speaking their truth. I can't tell you how many women on the retreats that come and that I see I see their biggest obstacle to their health is their mind, is not believing in themselves, is feeling so lost and disconnected from their own self that they think there's nothing in them that could help them, that they have to go to a doctor, that they have to go to some authority to fix them because there's something wrong with them. And often there's fear and shame in going back and admitting You know, like a woman just told me, I'm not in a happy marriage. I've been married for 35 years. It's never been fulfilling. But hey, I'm miserable with him. But I think I'd be more miserable without him. So I'll just suck it up. And this is my life, you know, and they will not bring it up. And so there's so much fear, because we don't allow women to like, it's okay to break. It's okay. You'll actually be surprised at how strong you are when that day comes. But we we prefer to be in the familiar because, and that's the addiction to my pain that I had. At least it was familiar. At least I knew what it was like to have someone cheat on you and break up. And guess what? The next guy said the same thing again and again. It happened eight times for me to have to say I am the common denominator in this, not them. Right? And so I don't want people to have to suffer. Suffering will happen but it doesn't have to happen to the degree and intensity if we do our work. If we let go of our past traumas, the next one will be a four out of 10, a five out of 10, maybe a nine out of 10, but it won't last weeks and months and years at the back of our mind. It doesn't get reprogrammed into that subconscious. And that's a great tool I learned from my therapist is if something happens to you that triggers you, ask yourself on a 10, being the worst intensity one is it's not intense at all where is it and then how long does it last if it's 30 minutes to an hour and it bothers you it's on your mind that's healthy If it's more than five hours and it's more than a six out of 10, it's not about what just happened. There are other incidents from the past that have piled up in that wound and this one just opened the scab. And so that has been so important for me because sometimes something will happen and I'm like, okay, oh, I forgot about it the next day. Okay. That bothered me, but I understand that person. I understand why they did what they did. I'm not going to take it personally, right? To each their own. But there are some times where things don't let you sleep. You still feel tense and you don't even know, like, where is this coming from? Why is this bothering me? This shouldn't bother me. That's when you know it hit a wound. It's from the past and things that have happened with a familiar feeling. So ask yourself, is this a familiar feeling? Is the resentment I feel towards my husband the only time in my life I have felt resentment? Or is this a familiar feeling? For me, it was the rejection. I was like, this is for sure a familiar feeling. This is not the first time I felt it. I could tell you all the countless times, well, did I heal those? I hope we learn to heal and healing is letting go. Healing is so different than just pushing it aside and pushing it back there and trying to go, you know, get instant gratification from getting that promotion or getting that bigger house or a nicer car or that purse and feeling like, yes, This is what I want, right? No, those are instant gratification, externally validating you, and they don't last. Everything catches up with you. It will eventually catch up. An analogy I use with patients is if you're 42, like I am, and you have 42 levels of a building, and you're at the top of that 42nd floor, you want to look down and know there are no cracks on any of those levels. But if there's a crack that happened at 2 and 4, and eight and 12. And these don't have to be huge cracks. It doesn't have to be a death in the family. It could be your dog got given away. It could be that there was a breakup, right? It could be simple. It could be the birth of a sibling. Those cracks eventually in that foundation catch up to you. And so do the work because you want to be the happiest you are at the top and know that I have a solid foundation and I'm present and I can't wait till 43, you know?
0: Gosh, I have so many thoughts that are going through my mind about this. Um, There's two. One of them is what you said was really powerful about, and I was listening to um, Joe Dispenza and Jay Shetty. They just did a podcast and I've listened to all of Joe's stuff. And every time I listen, something else hits me. So I highly recommend that. For any of our listeners today, but he mentioned something that you said where he was saying, I'm not telling people to not feel those thoughts. You're still gonna have that feeling of, you know, whether it's pain or overwhelm or frustration. The thing I like to say is, how long does that feeling last for you? Right? Because I think to your point, and you also mentioned this, For me, I go into why do I feel this way? What do I need to do? Do I need to like have more balance? You know, my mind starts going to solutions mode. But then if I take a step back and just feel in 30, 40 minutes, I feel okay if I don't put that judgment. And I love that you mentioned that because so many people might feel different things, whatever they're going through, and will judge themselves and just overthink it. But it's like, let's just work on feeling it and seeing how long it lasts, right? And I, I love that. And then the second point that stands out is you know, I just so appreciate you being so open and vulnerable about your own journey, you know, talking about, it's so beautiful to see the type of doctor you were graduating from med school to what you're doing today. And when I was reviewing some of the old podcasts that you've talked about, there were so many life things that kind of positioned you to what you're doing today. And I know you mentioned, you know, your daughter had health issues. And you actually were in pediatrics. I didn't know that. But do you mind maybe sharing kind of your evolution from being in pediatrics to kind of what you are more recently kind of focusing on or over the past few years?
2: Yes. First, I love that you mentioned Joe Dispenza because that refractory period is sort of the term we use of how quickly you can get over the emotion and go back to peace so it's really important. My husband and I always joke about this because we're like, "Okay, that was good. That was only 20 minutes or that was only three hours. And last time the refractory was like days. So you can you can bring humor into this and like point each other out like, oh, this refractory period is going to take forever. You know, I do that a lot with him and he just laughs and that helps break it up because laughing and smiling is such a great way. To reprogram the brain and it can be fake your brain doesn't know the difference so we fake laugh all the time and as soon as i start cracking up everyone gives me the look and that's one of the trainings i'm doing is to learn to be silly because i care so much about what people think from my childhood having to always look good and try to fit in that i was told you have to practice doing things in the middle of nowhere that actually you know people are gonna look at you and judge you because you want this muscle to build, just like a bicep muscle, right? So your brain needs to keep working at things. It needs to develop and grow. Back to your question about how I got into what I do. There was two things I always said I'm never gonna do, which was cancer and fertility. Because to me, at that time, I was like, it's too sad, it's too heavy, I just don't wanna do that. I want the patient who's constipated, I will have solutions for them. Easy, like gut health, you know, hormones. And uh, I loved kids. I always wanted to be a mom. Even I remember being 12 talking about like four kids that I wanted to have or 10 kids. I I always was in mom mode. I always wanted to be the mom. When we played games with all the kids, I I would fight over that role. You be the husband, you be the kid, I'm the mom. And so I was basically in what I turned trimester zero from then knowing that I want to be a mom one day. And I, because I loved kids, I went into pediatrics and my specialty was naturopathic pediatrics. So I saw a lot of kids and then I realized their problems. Most of the time is not with the kids. It's the parents that I was calling in to come into the visits. And often there was hesitation, the dad wouldn't come, he was working or the mom would say like, can you give him something? You know, he's not paying attention in school or he's very angry. Or, you know, I had a kid who had a hearing loss that the doctors couldn't figure out why, everything was normal. And so I, I called in the parents and I did a one and a half hour intake. And I realized this kid, may be psychologically, emotionally, is turning off his hearing because he doesn't wanna hear all the fighting that's going on between the parents. And I thought, gosh, that is so crazy. I had the thought, but there's no way I was gonna say that because that wasn't very scientific. I couldn't prove it. I cared so much about what my colleagues thought back then and what, again, Same story of having to fit in, don't be the crazy one that's like woo woo and out there, you know, be a doctor. (laughs) So I did all the other treatments and we referred him to every uh, ENT doctor there was and he wasn't getting better. And so he went then and saw a homeopath who gave him a remedy, which is kind of mind blowing still that I didn't have the guts to go there and that's because I hadn't done my work. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe in that intuitive voice that told me he doesn't want to hear for a reason. Anyways, his hearing loss completely reversed. The parents actually ended up getting divorced, but the fighting stopped. And then later, he came back to me when he was 18. And he told me he could remember, you know, why. And he he said right out that, yeah, it was too much. I would go hide under the uh, table and I would go like this all the time. And so that's another really amazing story that the mind and your emotions impact you, man, they manifest physically. I mean, we know that now with placebo studies, it's been definitely shown that your mind affects you physically for sure, we know that. But anyway, so when I had all these pediatric cases, I realized also that there's a lot we could have done during pregnancy. So then I went back and said, "Okay, let me go and treat pregnant moms." And so pregnancy became my new thing. And then I realized, well, this egg and the sperm have already met and all their stuff is already there. It's almost too late cuz I can't do a lot with a pregnant mom. I can't give her a lot of things. So most things are contraindicated. I also didn't want her to go through therapy and like, you know, they'd be like, "We don't want to be crying and going through our stuff now. We want this to be a happy time." And I thought, okay, so I'm still in pregnant mode. Then I get pregnant. And I had Naya and I didn't want to do any testing because honestly, I was young. I was 28. I didn't think anything would be wrong. You know, and I said, whatever God wants me to have, I'll have. And when she was born, one of her eyes was sort of completely white and I had a home birth in water and it was just this beautiful birth experience. And as soon as I had her, I knew something was wrong and everyone, again, dismissed me so I've also learned again and again that what you feel isn't right the midwife said no no that's just the vernix from you know the birth that's in her eye and I just knew and this is the beauty of the intuitive mother it's in all of us even the dad said no you're crazy like don't be negative why are you thinking negative thoughts I just knew but again I thought maybe they're right and so we rushed to the hospital and that's where all the hospital visits started. And so I was three months in the hospital. She had seven surgeries in the first year of her life and then ended up with another diagnosis. And so it just was, I was sort of my first depression episode where I was crying almost every day. I didn't know how to handle it. I, I was, it was just such a shock. Um, But now I wish I could just go back and just hug myself and just say, it's going to be the best thing ever. But I I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't even want to believe that then, you know, and I wanted to drag everyone down with me in my pain. I was so upset with all my friends who had, were older, who had, you know, there was this jealousy of like, how come they all have these beautiful kids in there that are healthy And I don't. And so I I learned a lot about myself that also misery attracts misery. I wanted to be around other people who were also down. And at that time, because it validated me. But when everyone was happy and all these baby showers, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go to the park with all these cute, happy babies because I was hiding her. I was I was ashamed. And again, all this was from my past. It wasn't the first time I had felt that. And so that's when I realized in the hospital, holding her after one of the surgeries, where they came out and said, You know, we don't know if she's gonna make it because anesthesia, when you're, she was very small, she was five pounds and a half when she was born. Anesthesia is very hard on a child and and their liver, and sometimes it was that things can go wrong. And so I was like, That's it, it's done, she's gonna die, and I'm gonna go too. <laughs> so that was when I realized huh and I looked around at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto there's a lot of sick kids and there was a lot of kids who were blind I'd never seen so many blind kids in my life obviously because I never had to go to the eye doctor and I thought wow so interesting and many of them were actually Indian and I thought maybe it's just where we live in Toronto um and you know talking to the doctors there wasn't a lot of like caucasians there And I was like, interesting. And there were some Hispanics and I wondered like, why are all these people having blind kids? And then I'd go to the other section because she had heart issues. And then we'd see the heart people and so many kids. And I thought, how can we have prevented this or could we have? And at the time we were buying a house which had a lot of issues. And the two just came together of like, we did a home inspection. We did a termite inspection. We did a mold inspection. We did all these inspections. And I realized I never did an inspection on me. I never did an inspection on my husband. Forget husband. They didn't even ask about him. Like he wasn't even involved in any of the visits after when we were looking at, do you smoke? Do you do this? Did you do any drugs? Did you have any STDs? No one asked him if he had anything, if he smoked, if he was at all in good shape or good health right? Did you take your prenatals? I was on such high folic acid, you know, which is interesting because she has MTHFR, full gene mutation. So obviously she was not able to even break that down, but I didn't know about that stuff back then. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing. I just did whatever I was told to do, you know, and I was very healthy. I never smoked. I never drank. And so I often wondered, like, could we have done something before we had gotten pregnant And that's how the idea of trimester zero came about because honestly we were buying a house and I realized I would never just buy a house without looking at the house. I would go in there and look and are there any cracks? You know, what are we buying? How's the foundation? And I realized we don't do that. And everything epigenetically, the genes, everything is already made. so it's almost too late. Of course it's not too late, but so much has already occurred. And even psychologically, consciously, like, Why did I even want to have a kid? You know, and what was that validating for me? For sure, there was a component around that, and I was terrified to have another one because I wanted like ten kids, but the thought of having another one was so scary that I thought, no, I'm not, I can't, I'm not strong enough to go through because something could go wrong, and that's when I did a lot of work around fear and faith. And, you know, just the opposite of like, is this coming from a fearful place, this, these thoughts, or is it coming from a loving place? Because I want her to have a sibling. I wanted to have more kids. But so that's when I started digging into, you know, I had mercury fillings. I had so much. There was mold in the house that I cleaned myself. Um, I wasn't taking the right prenatals. My vitamin D wasn't optimal. My vitamin A wasn't optimal. My folate was low. I had started then cleaning up. I started detoxing and really taking out so many chemicals from receipts and pizza boxes and the jeans that I had bought that I never washed before I wore them. And I learned a lot because there was nobody back then that I could go visit and say, how do I prevent this not to happen again? Help me. Right. And so I had to kind of do my own work to kind of figure this out. And I did all that. And then I had Cyrus, my son, who, my textbook is very healthy and was thriving. He was nine pounds, so different. And actually it was your husband, Drew, that helped me realize that I'm doing a disservice to the world by not bringing this program that I had developed because I was so afraid that one day my daughter would hear and, my, and, and feel bad that like, so it was my own guilt. I was so guilty that I didn't do this work before I had her and I blamed myself. And he was like, are you kidding me you need to share this with the world like naya would be so happy to know that this all started with her and allow the world be honest be vulnerable be be yourself and that's when i did that first podcast with him and it was hard it was hard to share my story so i know what it's like when there's shame and guilt and blaming especially as women we blame when we take responsibility for everything And it shouldn't have to be that way. Babies are made by two people and it should really be both doing their work. When it comes to nutrition, when it comes to prenatals, when it comes to doing your conscious conception work, trauma work, all of it. Because guess who that baby sees the day they're born, even inside you, is dad. And we pick up so much from our fathers. So it's really important that both are
0: doing their work and it's not just all on the mom. trimester 0 is the fa- is my favorite time of life because it's like
1: it's like you're buying a home like you use the home analogy and you're decorating it and you're making it beautiful and you're cleaning it because you're going to live there. And so like when I reframed this idea of like this is my baby's first home. My body is my baby's first home. Like what do I want them to experience? How do I want them to live? What type of nutrients do I want them to have? Like it can feel very really scary going into pregnancy, but it can also be really joyful. And I think those Ancient medicines teach us that a baby wants to come into a beautiful, thriving, joyful environment. And so when we when I when I personally take on that approach of like, how can I make my best body and mind ever for this baby to come into? Nothing is perfect. We can't be perfect, but we can do our best. It just makes it so much more of an exciting time. I'm now 36. I'll probably have next baby 37, hopefully fingers crossed, 38 maybe. Yasmin is also thinking about baby too. You know, we're gonna be over the 35 hump. So for anyone who's listening to this, they're post 35, they wanna have a baby. Is there specific advice that you have for them?
2: I mean, since we're talking about the mind and you said getting the mind and the body to be in the right place, actually my first advice is look at yourself the way you are now and do a a thorough assessment what symptoms do you have because your symptoms will tell you what's off so it's individualized you could be 35 and a very happy 35 year old healthy body with really good eggs really good sperm too right we got to talk about him too and you're doing great but if you think that you're over 35 and now you're old because society says that that's geriatric, right? That, that term, it's like, of course that's going to have an effect and you're going to believe that and you're going to identify it and your body will act like that. So first assess. I can't tell you how many people in my program are like in their forties and I'll check their progesterone levels post ovulation to see how the quality of the egg is. And I'm like, This is phenomenal. I'm jealous. It's way better than mine. You're okay in terms of egg quality, or we do nutrients and we look at their folate, their vitamin D, their choline, all the nutrients, because those are important to the house, right? You want to make sure there's a bed, there's everything there that the baby needs and that you have enough milk and all of that. And it looks good. You're good, right? But they're so anxious. They're so stressed. What if my friends, you know, I had a woman recently said, my friends just had an autistic kid. I'm so stressed. I'm so worried because I'm over 35 and, and I read and my husband has a, a schizophrenic, you know, grandfather and therefore, and they've, they've already created the story. And I said, wow, that's a great affirmation. <laughs> You've already created the affirmation. You keep saying that to yourself. It could happen, of course. But you do your best and do the mental emotional work. I think that's my biggest advice. And probably the one that people don't want to hear, because they're like, just tell me which prenatal to take. Just tell me how much coke you tend to take. Just tell me like, should I take progesterone before I get pregnant? Yeah, if it's low, take it, it could help prevent miscarriages. Check your clotting, make sure your autoimmunity is in remission so that the body doesn't attack self. Right? Make sure that your gut health is in optimal shape so that the baby gets those good bacteria from, from you. The most important system a baby needs to develop is the immune system, because that's where we're headed. All these kids with eczemas and allergies and cancer and and autoimmune disease, it's all immunity. The immune system is so important and the immune system comes from the microbiome in mom's gut, which is affected by your thoughts. The nervous system is in your gut. So the best you could do is kind of keep going backwards and go, okay, let's start with here. Let's make sure emotionally, and then I can focus on and see what symptoms do I have? Am I on medications? Do I want to be on these medications? Do these help the baby, right? Is dad on meds um, that have side effects? How's my mitochondrial health, right? So do I exercise and I get really tired quickly? Or have I had so many viruses that all my mitochondria are just so damaged that I'm really fatigued? Okay, what can we do to help the mitochondria, right? So you can take some CoQ10. There are things that actually help rebuild mitochondria because they get all their mitochondria from the X chromosome. So it's important um, to really look at things from a very holistic perspective and not just think that, okay, I'm taking the right prenatal. I did my obstetric panel. I don't have syphilis. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I'm good. (laughs) Right. But also just have faith, just be open. Because if someone had told me back when I had my daughter that she's going to have this, you should abort, which is what they would have told me with Turner's right. I am so glad for all the things that she has because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be the kind of mother I am today. And so it's like, it's hard for me because I am a spiritual person and I don't push my faith on anyone, but I do believe that there is a greater power more than me and you that controls everything. So we can do the best we can, but we also just have to have faith and just go, I surrender. And whatever happens, I know I did my best. And that's what trimester zero is really about. And what you guys are doing to help balance hormones and make sure people are not in a progesterone deficit or estrogen dominant place, because it affects how you feel. And how you feel is the kind of mother you're going to be and the kind of wife you're going to be and the kind of person you're going to be for yourself. And so why not? Why not help the body? So I, I always say it's 50 50. You can't just focus on the body without looking at the mind. And you can't only do the mental emotional work, but be in a very nutritive, de- uh, you know, calorie deficit, because you're not eating enough, you're not getting enough protein uh, states, you're not exercising, you're not moving, you got to, you've got to have that balance between it all. I love that. I'm just gonna say you guys, Don't worry about the numbers. The numbers mean nothing to me. I do like to look at lab values and I I will, you know, be also very careful what I say to people because let's say their quality is low and they're 38. You know, I had a woman yesterday who I was like, okay, progesterone's very low. I don't even know if she ovulated. So I'm like, I don't know, this month you did not ovulate. So people need to know that if they're not ovulating, they're not gonna get pregnant so why are you not ovulating okay well you're traveling a lot for work and is is this home ready are you even ready to receive a baby how are you how are you giving the message to the child that i'm ready right you're not ready you know you're going to bahamas two weeks and then you're in europe for two weeks So your body is like sex hormones right now? No, thank you. And she said, you know, her libido is very low. And I was like, yeah, your body doesn't want you to be attracted to your husband right now because it's, it's not, it's like, nope, we're not having baby. We're not ready. So there's always mental, emotional reasons why things go low, right? If cortisol is like flatlined and the adrenals are so burnt out, like in her case, I said, you're not ready for a child because your body's telling me I'm exhausted. And you think the baby's going to help. You're going to get no sleep at the beginning. And it's a, it's a very stressful event for a female to be pregnant. It is the most stressful event of their life. Pregnancy is no joke. It is a lot of work on the body and we get very depleted at the end of it. So for you having a second, I always say, make sure you rejuvenate, you fill up that cup on all levels. And also you mentally, emotionally have, if you can, just have a little talk with the first one to say that, you know, my love for you is not going to go down. If anything, there'll just be more love to share. Um, I did that. And I think it really helped me because I was like, how can I have another child? I love this one so much. I don't want to have to share that attention and that love. But I realized it ended up just being quadruple the amount, you know,
0: our heart can grow to infinite sizes. This is just interesting. The way you talk about how you love trimester zero and just hearing all your thoughts of fruze. And you mentioned this in another interview we did. But it's like, even for someone who's not looking to have a baby, everything that we're talking about is so powerful, because it's all about like, how do you feel? Is your health in the right place? Are you showing up to be the best person you can be so i just want to reiterate that because i feel like everything that you guys are saying is just so applicable to even women who aren't necessarily wanting to get pregnant anytime soon or maybe don't want kids yeah it's not just your baby's home it's also your
1: home so it's like if it, for me it's the motivation because i always am like how can i help someone else versus help myself so the motivation for me is like oh this is for a child like i will do this for this child but for other people, their motivation might be, okay, I'll, I need to do this for myself. So whatever it is, I mean, we should want to do it for ourselves anyway, but I'm just being real.
2: <laughs> that's so motherly of you. That's that's the yin, right? And that's so beautiful to acknowledge and love that part of you that is very nurturing and giving. Um, I would say it's it's same thing. It's the two coins and you're just looking at that one side, but it's fine to also be the other, as long as it's not over giving and overextending. And that's what I see a lot of females do is they overwork, they overextend themselves, that busyness, right? Their validation is coming so much from wanting to be successful and for fertility, it is so important to to balance that yang energy or the summer energy right the endless summer which women love typically it's like the you know longer days and they're outside and they're doing more they're active more the winter is so important also the cold the the uncomfortableness the difficultness of the winter you know the the, the having to make warm soups and those are so important to also nurture in us before pregnancy because we also don't want to teach our kids that the females need to be the way they are nowadays, right? And I know this is part of your podcast, the CEOs, and I, I always feel like, okay, you don't have to be like that. You don't have to be like that. You just be you, right? You just be you and take care of your emotional health is what I would love to, to end with because I guarantee you every single symptom you have has an emotional component. And I saw a a man yesterday with shoulder blade issues and just so much tension. And, you know, we went deep and we, we got to like, yeah, that's where, that's where he's holding his stress and his anger. Right. And we have so many people I see who come to see me for TMJ, TMJ, unless there's been trauma is a hundred percent emotions and holding a lot of tension, fear, anxiety, anger here, which is why it comes out sometimes at night when we we have to kind of let go. It's like the body's like, okay, I've been holding on to this all day. This is when I'm going to let it out, right? And then it gets very tight and they wake up with that headache and just everything tight. Um, what else? Tightness in the chests. We hold a lot of fear in our bellies, in our stomach. I have women who have been sexually abused, a lot of trauma has occurred in the pelvic region we see that coming out in weak bladders that they'll have to like urinate every hour when there's not even enough urine Um, so the body holds so much what's another one restless legs nervousness in our legs right like we actually know this in medicine we call it restless leg syndrome why are the legs restless (laughs) so we have so many terms in medicine that actually tell you the the pathology and where it's coming from and it's here but it's so funny that doctors usually just want to suppress and kind of numb very quickly the the symptom and not realizing and telling the patient that this isn't really getting rid of your high blood pressure right the word pressure where's the pressure coming from in life it didn't get rid of it. We just numbed it. And guess what? If I take you off it, it's going to go back up again. So did I really get rid of it? Did I really fix it? I didn't fix anything. I just put a big band-aid on and I can't see it right now because it's covered. <laughs> right. So it's, it's important to use medicine. It's important to use medications. I should say there are the Michael Phillips can swim really well. But if he's in the ocean and it's stormy, he's going to need a life jacket, no matter how good of a swimmer you are. And that's when we should use medication is in those moments. And it's temporary, but he's not going to need it if he's in the pool, right? And we shouldn't either. So there are moments in life where there's just, it's just too much and there's life and death even like there's sepsis, use the antibiotics. That's okay. Right. And I tell my patients, it's okay. Use the meds. But maybe just know that we're testing and seeing, does this help? Maybe it's just using it as trial and error to see if this is the cause. And then don't get addicted to it. Don't take it for life. Don't think that that's what you need. You know, and if you do, it's okay. But it's just that awareness. I'm the kind of doctor that likes to just bring awareness, because that's my personality, right? But there's different doctors that are not like me. They don't have the same beliefs. They haven't gone through life the way I have. So that's, how they practice. That's why I don't call myself just a naturopathic doctor because we're all so different depending on what we've been through and what our beliefs are, right? So I'm just me, this is my philosophy. And in 20 years, I might be way more easygoing, you know and just telling you to go walk barefoot in the ocean in the grass, I don't know. I might be that hippie doctor one day, I don't know. But all I know is the less I actually do, the better. And the less I try to help patients by giving them things, sometimes I do more harm because I'm enabling them to continue in whatever they believed is wrong. And it's not the truth. Half the time I say, how many doctors have you seen? And they'll say, you're the 15th one. That's always a sign that I am not going to fix what you think I'm going to fix. Because what have you been looking for? Why hasn't anything worked? Sometimes I have to have that hard conversation and say, I'm not I'm not going to give you anything like we need to do the inner work, we need to go inward, we need to do the harder work, because I don't want this to continue. I don't want there to be another doctor another doctor. You know, no, it's not mold. No, it's not. It's not a hypersensitivity to chemicals. There's a reason your immune system is reacting and overreacting to these things. Why? How come someone else will have the same and not overreact? So that's the deeper work. And sometimes people don't want that. They say, just give me something to take to to make it go away. And I understand that. I've done that. And I will, but I usually leave with, just so you know, this isn't really getting to the root of it. And it's so freeing to get to the root and heal and, and completely understand yourself. Understand why you are the way you are and where these things came from and realize half of these things aren't even yours. They were passed on to us. They were from our childhood. They were from society. They were from the wrong messages we got from social media, you know, which is happening a lot nowadays. Everyone is like, oh, I saw on Instagram, berberine is the new ozambic is is a text message I got this morning. I was like, Mary, is this true? Can you prescribe me berberine? And I was like, no. I was like, if you want diarrhea tomorrow, sure. But this, this is the world's changing so fast. Um, and we just have to be really careful to, to in this Western pill, instant gratification, fast, quick, let me lose weight now. Let me get things now, right? Even fast food is not fast enough. And that's why I love going on retreats and even being here in Ohio and just going away from that world you know, we were just in Costa Rica for ten days for a retreat, and I was very depressed when I got home. Even though I love my home, but it's just the society is so different here. You know, everything. You sit there, and it takes an hour and a half for even the waiter sometimes to come to you. You know, when I was in Portugal, I was like, "Gosh, where is everyone? Why is no one taking my order?" And they're like, "This is just how it is. Just calm down, relax, breathe. Look at the trees." You know, it's so, so important to just slow down because life goes by too fast and we have to allow ourselves to be the happiest that we want to be. It's up to us.
0: Yes, so true. So inspired by you, Afruz. I feel like we could talk for hours, but we'll put all the information on your retreats, your programming, where they can find you in our show notes. But this was amazing. You are such an inspiration and so appreciate you joining us today. Thank you both. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny. And it's never too late to start your own empire.